0: At the federal level, um, there are, you know, a variety of different taxes, but the predominant one is income taxes, income taxes on individuals, income taxes on businesses. Um, And the other pretty, the other two big ones are estate taxes. So there's a state tax at the federal level, and then there's excise taxes on things like telecommunications and alcohol um, uh, and other um, products. On top of that federal system, and and so the federal system, anybody who is required to pay one of those taxes pays it to the Internal Revenue Service. Um, The state system, and there are 50 states in the United States, um, is layered on top of that.
1: Hi, welcome to this episode of the Tax Chick podcast. I'm really excited for my guest today my friend Jamie, a fellow tax chick, And Jamie and I are going to continue the discussion on sales taxes, but we're going to move the discussion to a different jurisdiction. So today we're going to be talking about the United States and the sales tax regime there. Jamie is awesome. And I'm so excited for you all to get the chance to meet her today. A little bit about Jamie. So Jamie focuses her practice on assisting businesses in all aspects of state and local tax controversy, from regulatory and administrative proceedings all the way through civil litigation. In the wake of the 2018 U.S. Supreme Court decision in South Dakota versus Wayfair, in which her firm represented Wayfair, she also works with e-commerce retailers and digital service companies of all sizes to evaluate their economic nexus profile, consider a sales and use tax collection action plan, and register with state and local tax authorities across the U.S. Most importantly, Jamie is a mom to a fiercely independent daughter. Both Jamie and her daughter are chocoholics and shoe fiends, and today Jamie and I discovered that we also share a love of chocolate and shoes. So without further ado, here's the episode. Well, I'm so excited, Jamie, to have you on the podcast today, a fellow tax chick. I feel like you and I were separated at birth. I'm so glad I met you. Thank you
0: so much for being here. Thank you, Amanda. And absolutely likewise. I I wish the listeners could see us. We're sitting here with our brunette bobs and awesome glasses and, and great shoes. And yeah, separated at birth is exactly right. Uh, someday we will meet yes. in person. Yes,
1: <laughs> and I'm I'm excited to have you on today because you have this whole different area of expertise that. I just do not have. And you're so fun to talk to. And I was just saying to you before we started recording that um, this will be a unique episode because I have nothing of value to add to this conversation because I know nothing. So this will be, it's all on you, Jamie. You need to carry this episode and I trust that you can.
0: Uh, I guess that's a good thing that I'm wearing my good shoes then.
1: That's right. That's right. Yes. So as you know, I always ask my guests um, the same two questions, and they're non-tax related, but I actually find it to be quite interesting to learn this about uh, the people that come on my episode. So my first question is, what is the
0: last podcast you listened to and or your favorite podcast? Um, the last one that I listened to was actually earlier this morning and it was um charlotte smith's limitless lawyer podcast oh that's um, a good one it is a good one and it's actually the new episode that just dropped this week with my um networked book co-author patricia baxter and i highly recommend it so uh, oh i didn't the podcast seen so, it.
1: yeah yeah it's well, really I- good Let's talk about networked because I had this on the list of things I want to talk to you about. Ah, And I would really like it if you could share with my listeners what networked
0: is um, and how you're a part of it. Of course, I'd be happy to. Um, Networked is this call it a labor of love. Um, Early in the pandemic, I connected with about 50 other women lawyers who um, realized that because of COVID, we couldn't do the, you know, schmooze and dine and wine networking that we were all um, doing. And um, so we turned to LinkedIn and saw it as a real opportunity to network, to become or become known as thought leaders in our different Practice areas and to connect with other women um, because I, I one thing that I'm I am passionate about I'm sure you are and all of my um, uh, co-authors are is this. Um, Concept of women supporting women. When we support one another in our personal, and professional endeavors, we lift one another up. It's empowering, um, and it's um, motivating. It's exp- inspiring, and um, so that's how it got started. Um, and and about six months in to networking and and supporting one another on linkedin um one night sherry um Bellitz, one of the co-authors had this idea of like we should write a book um and tell our stories and i think we all had this like okay moment um and someone else said yeah we should do it and it's international women's day in a month so we should publish in time for that which means we have to write a draft by next week and we all said Okay. Um and and we did. Um, we didn't publish by International Women's Day, but not long thereafter. And and networked book, hashtag networked is the title of the book. And um it's this um homage, if you will, to um finding a, an incredible digital community through LinkedIn that um brought us all together. And each of our stories is unique, but each of our stories crosses over. Um, and we thought that um, our, our stories and the uh, way we came together as a group would resonate with other women um, who also turned to LinkedIn and digital community in the pandemic um, and surprisingly has really resonated with men as well. So it's available on Amazon. And um, I can now say I'm an author and I just, it's so exciting. Thank you.
1: <laughs> well, I i mean, I'm just sitting here getting chills just thinking about this book. And I was one of the first purchasers of the book because I was so excited I when I heard about it. And I was just saying to you that I tore through it in like five hours because um, it was so good. And I think for people who are listening... What I think was really great about this book is we were all experiencing things at the beginning of the pandemic as professionals. And whether you were a brand new professional or you were seasoned and you were running your own business and you were um, looking after other people, we all were experiencing the same things globally around the world. And nobody was really talking about it in in a very um, open way, the, the fears, um, the worries, the stresses. And so what was really cool about this book is each chapter is one person's take on what happened to them in that time and their growth and their challenges and their triumphs and then how they found their way to this really cool networking group. And there's pieces of each story that I think will resonate with each person that reads the book. And it it doesn't really matter if you're a man or a woman or if you're a lawyer or not. I think that the stories are very, um, very relatable. It's a very easy and enjoyable read. And it's very empowering. So I, I mean... You know, high fives to you. I'm going to put all the info for Networked in the show notes. Um, and and I just think it's such a fabulous, fabulous book. And congrats on being an author. Thank
0: you, thank you. You know, it's 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 been a dream for a long time, and it's really exciting. The book is available everywhere. So you know, Amazon is everywhere. You can get it in in Canada. You can get it here in the U.S. You can get it. Uh, gosh, I think we had a couple people in Australia and in the UK, and and just seeing kind of that like global spread of of our little baby has been really exciting. Well, and
1: I, I believe you and indicated all the proceeds go to a nonprofit.
0: Yes. Yes. We are donating 100% of the proceeds. Um, this year our chosen nonprofit is the national women's law center. Um, so an organization that is committed to supporting and uplifting women lawyers. Yay. Fitting. Yes.
1: Yay. Okay. So great book. I will put the info in the show notes. And I have made the note about the Limitless podcast because I had not gone onto to my Apple podcast today to see what the new one was. Wow. And I'm going to listen to this. I love listening to Patricia Baxter. She's awesome. Oh,
0: she's an, She is a tour de force and so inspiring. I It's an honor to have met her and connected with her and written a book with her. Well, and I just kind of
1: creepily creep on her on her yeah. LinkedIn profile. That's like as close <laughs> as I've gotten to Patricia. And well, then I, I know you. you. Yeah. I know you and you know her. So that seems yeah. like, you know, it's like the 6 degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever. I think I'm close.
0: Yeah. yeah. And here in Maine, we we call it the 2 degrees of separation in Maine. Um at, within about 10 minutes, you'll find, you know, someone the person you're talking to is like, you know, your childhood Next door neighbor's veterinarian or something like that. It's 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 two degrees. So,
1: a good reminder to always be nice to everybody. Yes, as one should do anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, that is that is awesome. I'm going to put that info in the show notes. Um, The other question I always have is, uh, what is the emoji that you use most often
0: when texting? Oh, I'm old school. Speaking of classic and old school, I do parentheses hyphen open. Wait, what is it colon? Hyphen open parentheses, like old school smiley face emojis um, Whoa. Um, I, I I there's something about it that I just really love, so that's the that one is, that I use the cool. most
1: <laughs> well and, and you and I were talking a bit about classic uh, earlier because I record this podcast using a program called Zencaster and I was indicating that like earlier today they released this new beta version of Zencaster that allowed video um I did not know that until I logged on to Zencaster this morning and like I I'm not in a video state right now yeah. like it just you know me right now. And I felt like I hadn't promised you videos. So that's not fair. And so we went back to classic Zencaster and it's kind of cool.
0: Yes. So classic Zen, classic old school emojis when emojis were, you know, typing it out on your actual keypad. Yeah.
1: I like it. I like it. Well, I, I'm excited to have this conversation with you today Mm. because, um, Earlier this month, I've released an episode on sales taxes in Canada. And so I had an accountant on and we talked about GST, PST, RST, QST, HST, all of the STs um, in Canada. But we haven't really touched yet on the sales taxes in the US. And I feel like there's so much more cross-border sales and services that are happening that it's really helpful for people to just have a basic understanding of some of the sales tax systems in the US, regardless of whether you're living in Canada or the US. And uh, you are an expert in this area. And so I'm excited to cover these topics with you. And we kind of we kind of talked about, well, how are we going to approach this? Because it, it is a fairly large bite to chew. Um yeah. so we we kind of came up with three issues. We thought we'd do uh, we, I'm saying the role we you <laughs>
0: I think I'm going to nod. change our name to Text Queens, man. I you know. know, I
1: know. I I'm just going to nod and smile politely and you're going <laughs> to um, So issue number 1 is we're just going to give that brief overview of what is the U.S. taxation system in terms of how sales and state taxes fit within the overall scheme of that system? And then we'll move into a discussion about generally state taxes. So what are some key things to keep in mind, uh, or filing requirements, those kinds of things? Mm-hmm. And then finally, a brief discussion about how do state taxes apply to online sales and maybe to non-residents or to sales outside of the country, if that still sounds good to you? That sounds awesome. Let's oh, okay. In. Well, yeah. I'm excited. Okay. Let's right. dive right into issue number one. So can you provide our listeners with a bit of an overview of like the U.S. taxation system, but in particular how like sales and state taxes yeah. fit into
0: that? Yeah, sure. So um, I, here in the U.S., we like to describe our system as is, is a federalist system. Um, and oftentimes that kind of, you know, brings everybody back to Hamilton and um, not giving up my shot, whatever it is, um, however the lyrics are. But the federalist system really means that there's a federal system, the US federal system, um, and then layered with that is a state system. And they kind of work in this um, cousin partnership if you will so at the federal level um, there are you know a variety of different taxes but the predominant one is income taxes income taxes on individuals income taxes on businesses um, and the other pretty the other two big ones are estate taxes so there's a state tax at the federal level and then there's excise taxes on things like telecommunications and alcohol um, uh, and other um, products on top of that federal system. And, and, and so the federal system, anybody who is required to pay one of those taxes pays it to the internal revenue service. Um, the state system, and there are 50 States in the United States, um, is layered on top of that. And at the state level, you can have a variety of different taxes. You can have income taxes, personal and corporate, you can have, um, I call them business activity taxes. So these are other types of taxes that fall on businesses, similar to income taxes, but um, but more like a gross receipt. So it's um, based on the entire proceeds uh, uh, that a business receives for a set of transactions. Um, there are sales and use taxes, and this is um, something that is unique at the state level, and, and that may not have been known um, to you and to your listeners, there are no federal sales and use taxes. There are only state sales and use taxes. I did Um, not know that. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, So I should say state and local. I I like to call myself the SALT lawyer, and that stands for state and local tax. Um, And it is a wonderful way of playing on things like pinches of salt and salt of the earth and salty sailor. It it has a great um, acronym for puns in the tax world. Um, But there are state and local tax sales and use taxes at the state level. Um, there are state estate taxes, estate taxes, as in like when someone passes away and and a variety of other things. Um, sales and use taxes are, you want to think of them almost like flip sides of the same coin, right? So you have heads on one side, tails on the other. And that's really what sales and use taxes are to one another. Um, and they are transaction taxes. So they, they come up when there has been a sale of something. It could be a sale of, a pair of Fluvog shoes, as we were talking about earlier, it could be a sale of accounting services, right? Um, and the what is subject to tax varies state to state. What rate it's subject to tax at varies state to state. Um, and in the United States, if you count all of the various local jurisdictions, there's twelve thousand different tax jurisdictions. So you know it it, it gets complex very quickly. Um, and, um, I want you get back to the difference with sales and use taxes. So, um, a sales tax is triggered when the sale itself legally occurs within the boundaries of the state. Um, and a use tax is triggered when the sale itself occurred somewhere outside of the state. And this is where we would start looking into things like the terms and conditions of the sale and where something was purchased, et cetera, et cetera um and that item or that service is then brought inside of the geographic boundaries of the state or local jurisdiction and used um while we're there um so that's a, a, at a very high level the difference between state state sales and use taxes um each state administers its own sales and use tax system and and that system as i hinted at a moment ago looks at what are the different types of things that could be subject to tax? Um, There are many states that take the position, um, I get the rare phone call in the background, an actual landline. Um, (laughs) I love that you have a landline. I have a landline too. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, oh, best, we got to three rings. That means it's actually a person calling. Um, So um, uh, many states take the position that only, we call it tangible personal property. Some, So some sort of like item is um, subject to tax and they don't tax services at all. There are other states, on the other hand, that tax everything, items and services. Um, and then, you know, one really um, critical kind of growing area in the sales and use tax world is um, digital products and services. What do you do with them? What are they considered? Um, because it should come as almost no surprise, even if you know nothing about the st- the U.S. tax system that um, the states really are trying to play catch up as our economy has rapidly evolved, as the way we do business has rapidly evolved. And my gosh, look at the pandemic over the last year, the way that we were all forced into kind of this digital landscape um, on a dime. Um, And so just how to how to treat and how to classify and how to tax those digital products and services has been flummoxing the tax authorities, um, across the U S. Um, so there's a, an immense variety in what gets subject to tax. The tax rates vary all over the place from, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and even can vary if it's a sales tax or a use tax that that rate can vary. Um, there are, um, exemptions that states and local jurisdictions offer. So a lot of times they'll look at things like um, uh, the type of purchaser and say, you know, if you're a government agency or a sub-agency like a school, a public school, um, if you're a nonprofit or some sort of um, educational institution, R&D institution, R&D meaning research and development, um, that they're just going to take as a policy position um, that those purchasers are exempt. Um, There are other exemptions that are based on the product itself. So, um, you know, many states look at groceries and food as an item that, given the economic disparities in the U.S., the access to food, issues of food insecurity, they don't want sales tax to be a barrier to families who don't have much in the way of means. um, And so often treat food and groceries as exempt. Um, A a personal um, pet exemption of mine, if you will, we call it the pink tax here in the US. Um, So these are exemptions that are available to um, feminine hygiene products and often also include things like diapers and formula and bottles and stuff for babies. Um, Mm -hmm. But just on this idea as a policy level that these are products that are, you know, high needed for hygiene on a regular basis by a subset of the population just across the board. And, you know, that's women and, and other, um, people who menstruate and, and just making that, uh, those types of products available without that barrier of attacks. So those are the exemptions that apply. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the, real um bread and butter of my world um once you kind of get past just the structure of the sales and use tax and the state tax system and this this um what I'm going to delve into in a uh, next applies kind of regardless of the tax type that we're talking about um how you analyze it varies a little bit tax type to tax type but the basic concept is that in order for a state to enforce a tax against you you have to have nexus with that state. This is a unique concept in the state and local tax world. what nexus means, I, I'm a visual person. I like to think of it like a Venn diagram. Um, nexus means connection. You know, we're talking about the digital connections that you and I made with one another and other people on LinkedIn. Well, in the in the state and local tax world, um, nexus is that connection. And the strength of that connection determines whether or not a state or local jurisdiction can require you to um, report and remit taxes. Um and what you want to look at is that that degree of overlap, right? So you have the tax authority. You know, I live in the state of Maine, so think of it as Maine. And then there is um, the person or the business. So let's say, you know, the Tax Chick podcast and how much of an overlap is there between the State of Maine and the Tax Check Podcast. Um, And that's what you're looking at to figure out if you as a person or you as a business have an obligation to collect and uh, to collect and remit taxes if we're talking about sales and use or to just report and remit taxes if we're talking about something like an income tax or another business activity tax.
1: So just to kind of summarize, because that was a really amazing <laughs> overview, and I'm, I'm writing like crazy as <laughs> you're talking, and I, I don't know if my listeners are going to be feeling like this too, but I, I feel like I need to summarize and make sure that I'm, I'm on the same page before we keep going. I'm, sure. I'm a foundational learner. So the gist of what I'm getting is is it seems like there's actually a bit of a similarity between the U.S. taxation system and the Canadian taxation system, in that we both have these overarching federal taxes that are, um, you know, administered and collected by the federal government. And then we have this more local-based tax system, which in in Canada is based on our, our provinces. For you guys, it's based on your state and your local authorities. And that those are administered typically separately um, by those particular states or authorities. And the determination of whether you're going to have to be, um, I guess, subject to those taxes is based on this concept of nexus. And and we don't call it nexus in Canada, Mm -hmm. but it's a similar type of idea there where there has to be some sort of connection. Yes. um or linkage between yourself and this other you know authority that's uh, imposing tax. So I think there's actually some some big picture um similarities which makes me feel like I get it a little bit more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there are. Yeah. yeah, I would say that you know the HST GST I don't know all the rest of the acronym STs um, and sales and use taxes, I I think are very analogous to one another in the way that they're structured. Um, Maybe not with the federal aspect, because like I said, we don't have federal sales and use taxes, Um, but um, the way that they're structured, who they fall on and um, kind of the policy purposes behind them. Well, and I wonder if it would be helpful, too,
1: to explain a little bit. I mean, your role, you're a lawyer, and you are a state and local tax lawyer. Is that a typical specialty then in the U.S. that there's there's some that will focus on the federal tax regime and others that will focus on the state and local tax regime? Oh,
0: yeah. That's a really great distinction. There There is a pretty um, strong line, if you will, between the two. And there are lawyers who will only do federal work. And then there's lawyers like me who will only do state and local tax work. Um, and obviously, there's some overlaps, especially in the income tax system, because the state income tax is built on or built upon the federal income tax system, right? Right. Um, but but there's very clear distinctions and specialization between those types of lawyers, and um, I enjoy it. I mean, I love my salt practice. So <laughs> and and then
1: and I also think it's funny that like your last name is Zal, but it's S Z A L. So it's yeah. like you even have the right last name.
0: <laughs> you know, it's I haven't so even great. thought about that before. I love it.
1: Well, hi there. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope that you're enjoying this episode. I wanted to take a few minutes to explain who I am and why I started this podcast. So I am a tax lawyer. I am based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. I fell into the practice of tax law despite having a lifelong hatred of spreadsheets, math, and numbers in general. I feel pretty lucky because my day job allows me to have conversations with some amazing people who are very knowledgeable in their areas of practice. I thought it might be fun to share some of these conversations with you. I know the tax can be complex, but there are some basic foundational principles and key information that you deserve to understand and to know. I hope that when you finish listening to each episode, you feel like you have learned at least one thing that will be helpful to you in your day-to-day life. And maybe we will have even made you laugh. If you're interested in learning more about the tax chick, I also have a weekly blog called the tax chick blog. And if you're on Instagram, please follow me with the handle at tax.chick. Enough about me. Back to the episode. It's so great. And so then, I mean, if you're practicing in Maine, my understanding is that you're not just practicing with respect to state taxes in Maine,
0: but you're looking at
1: it potentially for for most of the 50 states. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's how my firm practices. And that was a real draw for me to come here, um, that I I do have clients that are Maine-based. I also have pending matters right now in Washington and Colorado and Texas and Massachusetts and kind of all across the United States. Um, And, and, Largely that's because and I think this really draws um into a couple of your other topics, but we um are particularly known for our work in representing e-commerce retailers and digital service providers. Um and and our clientele are multi-state entities, right? They do business in multiple states across the US, even pre-pandemic and, and certainly pre-pandemic, um, post-pandemic, they're doing business everywhere now, right? Because we're all sitting boredom shopping at home for the the next greatest pair of Smoking slippers or shoes <laughs> or really good quality chocolate, <laughs> um, and and so you know the e-commerce world has exploded in certainly in the last year, but really in the last fifteen years with the growth of the internet and the growth of online commerce and. Um, you know, the particular, um, I would say shift, I call it a tectonic shift really in the salt world. We're getting back to taxes here now for a moment, um, occurred, oh gosh, it's been almost three years now, two and a half years ago. And it's this case called the South Dakota versus Wayfair decision. Um, and, um, in that decision, um, the United States Supreme Court overturned 50 years of precedent of what, what nexus means in the sales and use tax world. Um, And before this case, what Nexus meant was that a company, a retailer business had to have physical presence, we call it, in a tax jurisdiction, a state or a city or a county before that business could be required to collect the sales or use tax on a transaction. Um, And when you're talking about e-commerce retailers and catalog merchants and other um, kind of distance merchants, if you will, um, that was not very many states because they had maybe an office and then in one state and maybe they had a warehouse or a fulfillment center in another state, but not very many states. Um, the Wayfair decision, which um, overturned all of that um, really came down and said a business can have nexus in a state by virtue of their economic activity in a state and that is measured by their sales level um, so to the extent that an online retailer has a enough sales delivered into that state um, or digital services provided through all of our um, addictive devices that I've I'm not going to admit how many of them are sitting in front of me right now <laughs> that that retailer or that service provider could be required to collect the sales or use tax. Um and the trend that we're seeing this year is that they're trying to states are trying to expand that into income taxes and other business activity taxes in that jurisdiction. And the thing that makes this um particularly important for um listeners on both sides of the US-Canada border is that the economic activity doesn't matter where the retailer is located right now. So, you know, you could have uh, a really phenomenal tax check website from Saskatoon selling awesome t-shirts. And I think you should, because I would buy one. Um, but if you had enough sales, um, into Maine or into, you know, one of the other U S States, um, those States could say, Amanda, you now have Nexus in, um, uh, in Maine based on your sales level. And you're now required to collect and remit, even if you're located outside of the United States. Um, and And so you know we are starting to work with a lot more e-commerce companies that are based in places like Canada or the u k or India or other places um that are doing business with customers located here in the u s
1: well, and every time you say the wayfair decision, I mean as a Canadian tax lawyer, I mean this was a big enough decision that I remember it coming across my desk mm. and I remember reading it and so I mean two things every time I hear the word wayfair i. Say <laughs> I mean, I just, and I'm not going to say it here because you're like a really good singer and I am not, and that will embarrass me. But the whole time you're talking, I've got the jingle going in my head. So that was some good advertising Wayfair.
0: This, this episode is not sponsored by Wayfair. <laughs> the, the, I, I should say, um, the Wayfair decision was one where my, my firm represented Wayfair in the case. Um, and, um, uh, God working on a Supreme court case was just like, Oh, oh, I played a very, very little part in that case, and it is the case of a lifetime. I will never forget having worked on it. Well, and
1: that was the other thing I was going to say. You yeah. have to tell people that you were a part of this case, and you shouldn't downplay your role. That is so. <laughs> I have never been able to be a part of a Supreme Court application or case, and that is kind of a, a fledgling dream of mine as well. It's and it's so yeah. cool. So, like, way good on you. And so that's why you you're able to kind of explain this in such a such an excellent way. Cause you actually had a piece uh, of this whole, this whole
0: process. Yeah. So, it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's a, it's, I think it's fun. I, I don't know about you, but I, you know, the thing that I love about SALT state and local taxes is the puzzle aspect of taxes, um, figuring out how things all fit together and um, how they change state to state. I love working with my clients on, on, on figuring out kind of the, the compliance on boiling down the complexity for them. Um, I love that it varies industry by industry, company by company, state by state, or city by city. I love that constant variety of it. Um, And, um, you know, it's, it's not just like what is subject to tax, what rate, it's things like you know filing dates and filing frequency and types of reports and types of registrations and and being able to um, boil that down in a way that makes it easy for my clients to feel comfortable um, knowing that they're off running their successful e-commerce or digital service businesses and and I am there to support them and see their success
1: well, and I think there's a bit of a commonality between tax lawyers I've started to discover, and we all We all love a good challenge and we all like to continue learning Mm -hmm. and and we all get very excited about the topic. And I, I was chatting with someone else the other day who had been listening to the podcast and reading the blog. And and she said, you know what I'm noticing is you guys just get so excited. And I said, well, we do because it's so cool. We, we want you to think it's cool too. And and I think that intersection of policy and tax is the thing I find so fascinating, like to know why. Why is that particular law in place? Why are we taxing that way? And how does that impact us daily? Yeah. And that is an issue that, I mean, taxes is everywhere. And I've always, said that. You can't avoid it and you might not want to learn about it, but you should because yeah. it's affecting you every time you get up in the morning and walk out your door. I mean, it does. And so I, I really appreciate the fact that you're you're sharing your excitement on the topic because I, I'm hoping that our excitement will be contagious.
0: <laughs> we're going to grow an <laughs> empire of tax checks, Amanda, you and me.
1: <laughs> so if we're thinking about this sort of the Wayfair decision and this concept of nexus and all of yeah. that. What I'm what I'm curious about is I mean, in Canada, we have like a business number that is assigned by the federal uh-huh. government. Yep. And yep. then we also have a provincial number that would be signed by each of our provinces if you're collecting the provincial portion of the, the tax there. What how does it work just from an administrative perspective um mm. in the US for state oh, tax? Great question.
0: So um similarly to the business number from CRA, um, any company or business um, will get what's called a Federal Employer Identification Number, F-E-I-N, here in the U.S., and that's assigned by the IRS. Um, That has, unfortunately, almost nothing to do with your state registrations um, that you have to get, other than you have to put that number on your application form. Um, Ah. um, So what businesses will do is they register jurisdiction by jurisdiction once they have nexus. Um, and that particular jurisdiction will assign an account number, Um, a business could have multiple different registration or account numbers in the same jurisdiction. They could have one for income taxes. They could have one for sales taxes. They could have one for use taxes because they might be that, you know, especially when we're talking about this e-commerce world and the um, the distribution of warehouses, if you will, that sometimes they fulfill an order from inside a state. So they have a sales tax account and they need to be able to report those sales through sales taxes. And sometimes they, dis- they fulfill an order from outside of the state. So they need a use tax registration in order to r- properly report those other sales. It gets really complicated really fast. Um, and then, you know, that's just at the state level. There are other also the local jurisdiction levels Um, and in many states, um, the state and local um, tax effect is kind of centrally administered by the state itself. That certainly alleviates a lot of burden on companies, but in other states like Colorado or um, uh, Alaska is another example, the businesses have to separately register with each of those local jurisdictions and separately file returns and make payments and undergo audits by those local levels. And they'll have yet another set of registration numbers there. Um, Keeping track of the registration numbers alone. Now that businesses are really looking at a, a 45 state compliance spread um, uh, gets, um, it's a full-time job in and of itself. <laughs>
1: that sounds like a nightmare because, I mean, in Canada, what, what we have is when we get the business number, at least at the federal level, mm-hmm. you have the same nine digits and a different ending on them mm. to activate for different pa- accounts. Mm-hmm. And then at the provincial level, yes, you would have a different you know number or license number per province, but we have nothing like 45 provinces. I mean, I can't even imagine just the administration. And then are you filing a separate return in each of those states or is there some sort of consolidated version?
0: Nope. Oh, boy. Nope. So, um, and there's a separate return for each tax type that you have to file. Oh, boy. Um, so there's different returns for income taxes. There's different returns for the gross receipts taxes. There's different returns for the sales taxes and use taxes. Um, and um, and you have to file a separate return every time you're required to file. Some states might require you to file monthly. Some states might require you to file quarterly. Um, and, um, some States, if you're particularly big in business, um, you want to think of like Amazon and eBay and Wayfair and some of these other really like mega companies, um, you might be filing your return once a month, but you might be required to pay taxes, like the amount that you've collected two or three or four times a month. Um, Uh, depending on, you know, the amount of taxes that you're, you're turning into a state. Um, and um, and so that's really, like, you need a good software program, <laughs> a really good sales tech software program. There is, unfortunately, no centralized location. You know, that has been one of the big pushes and kind of the criticism and commentary from businesses in the U.S., particularly post-Wayfair. Um, it's become, like, a its own noun these days. Um, but particularly post-Wayfair, really calling on the federal government to step in and say, there has to be some sort of centralized system for registration for filing for making payment to relieve the burden of compliance from businesses and you know when we're talking about relieving the burden of compliance this is particularly important for the small to mid sized businesses i am um, not to encircle back entirely to the beginning of the conversation but when i was talking about nexus this idea of you know your sales level most places now measure that one of two ways either by the dollar amount of your sales level so your gross receipts or by the individual number of sales transactions, um, and that second measure is really what trips up and gets a lot of small businesses. Because you know, uh, well, uh, I'm, I'm looking right now at this wonderful face mask that um, RBG face mask that my favorite tax check <laughs> sent me from Canada. Um, but let's be real, face masks are are not particularly expensive, um, and it if you sell 200, 200 is usually the measure. If you sell 200 of these face masks, we're not talking about 200. $200,000 of revenue here. We're talking like $20,000 of revenue, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that really um, trips up some small businesses that don't have the infrastructure or the means or the personnel um, to really be um, able to comply completely with forty five. dollars different states and umpteen numbers of local jurisdictions. So I, I think there's there's a lot of clamor for federal intervention on this. Um, unfortunately, you might have read the news right lately, but the United States federal government system is not particularly functional at the moment. Um, and so I'm not going to get in the policy uh, behind all of that right now. That's its own podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> So there's lots of hope, but I think it's like, you know, like the Red Sox waiting eighty-five years to win the World Series kind of hope um that the federal government will step in. So
1: Well, and I'm just thinking if I if I was a listener right now, I'm thinking of some of my Canadian listeners who might be currently having a heart attack as they're listening to this and <sighs> thinking, Oh my goodness, I think I was supposed to do something and I didn't. <laughs> Yeah. Um. Are are you able to kind of provide sort of a bit of an overview? Like, you know, let's say I always I always like to say, let's say I open a cupcake business in 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 Saskatchewan because I love baking cupcakes and it's mm-hmm. tax check cupcakes, and I'm exporting them and, and selling them through online sales um, down to North yeah. Dakota and other places. What what's my starting point in terms of mm-hmm. trying to figure out what I need
0: to do? Um. In the U.S. You know, for for most um, businesses. The starting point, well, first of all, is to just have a way to track your sales, right? So you're going to need to be able to track them state by state by state. Most of the states look at this on an annual basis. So what they're looking at is, you know, in the last 12 months, did you have $100,000 in sales or more to North Dakota? Mm. Um, and so um, I know I talked about this this trap for small businesses, and it is something to be aware of, but for, for a lot of businesses, particularly that are outside of the U.S. or just getting started, it really is just, just being mindful of what your sales are. Um, and that $100,000 is really the magic number for most states. Um, mm. So, you know, you want to see, you know, are you approaching $100,000? If you are approaching $100,000 in cupcake sales, Amanda, you call me. <laughs> 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 One, because they're probably darn good cupcakes, but um, I but think I'm going to about my day job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um. And then, you know, we step in at that point to work with our clients to kind of help them run a periodic evaluation. All right. What do your sales numbers look like now? And realistically, you know, where are you going to be required to register in the upcoming months? And what are the states that, you know, like you should pay cl- much closer attention to? Because my guess is, you know, you're going to have higher sales to places like New York or Texas or California where there's the population density um, and a lot less in sales to places like Hawaii or Alaska or um, Wyoming, not to knock any of those states, but there just isn't the population density really for a lot of online retailers to drive that type of volume of sales.
1: And so then if they they got to one of those thresholds Then my understanding is that they would need to somehow get one of those F-E-I-N number yep. of things. Yeah. And then then yep. once they have that, then that's what's used as you said on the application forms for any of the particular states. So there would still be
0: some some further application processes that would be required. Yes. Yeah, so then you submit a registration application. You get set up with that account number. You get your website kind of account because all of this is filed online now. Uh. Um, so you get your online account set up and your bank account hooked up, and then you start filing the returns on that 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 basis. And the other really key part that we've talked about is getting that software solution in place for you um, that is able to help you calculate and collect the right amount of taxes. And so that way you can prepare the return on that frequent basis or as needed. You know the thing, and I, I keep talking about income taxes, but the thing that is important to know for e-commerce retailers and online companies, particularly in Canada, there is a federal protection. Um, it's a statute called Public Law 86-272. Not to throw an entire wrench in when we're running right out of time, but there is a, a federal statute that protects businesses whose only presence in the state is economic or you know through a sales rep. Um, and and it says that if that's your only activity in that state, then you cannot be subject to income taxes. So for a lot of companies that are, you know, e-commerce or digital sales that are just not um, there's no physical presence in the state at all. There's no boots on the ground there or people or places. Then then the only ta- type of tax we're really talking about is sales and use. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Woo! Cool. That was so no exciting. heart attacks. When you start okay. selling your cupcakes, you call me. And I then... will. I will call you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll sit down over a plate of delicious, delectable things, as my three-year-old likes to say, um, and we'll figure it out together.
1: Uh, no, that is very helpful. I think that gives a great overview. And and I guess maybe before we close, is there any kind of um, parting words or closing thoughts you'd like
0: to leave our listeners with? Um, you know, I I will say two things. One. I love being a part of my clients' businesses and seeing their success. You know, when when they're succeeding and thriving and growing, um, that's partly when they need me. Um, but it's also really just um, empowering to see them do well, to have this kind of good problem to think about um, and to proactively um, think about. Um, and as a practical matter, um, op- read your mail, open your mail. <laughs> if you get something from, uh, you know, the main department of revenue, um, open the mail and see what it says. <laughs> because, you know, that's, uh, you know, when you just kind of like leave the tax mail on the table, I'm sure this is the same in Canada. That's where, um, the trouble, the, the not so good trouble starts to occur.
1: That's, that's, that's excellent. And I mean, I, I think I've talked a lot on my podcast and my I- about collaboration and teamwork and having your team. And I think that you know, your tax lawyer, your tax accountant, if you're a business owner, those are part of your team. And it doesn't mean that you need to phone us daily, but they're, we're a resource, we're available, and we're excited to be there and to help you and to be proactive. We're, we're really hoping we can be there to support you before something happens. But if something happens, we're also gonna be there to support you when it happens. And I've even had clients that they will bring into my office the brown envelopes from Canada Revenue Agency that are unopened because they can't open them. And I said, you know what, I'm going to open them and you're going to sit here and it's going to be okay. And I will open the envelopes for them and we will digest it together. And I think that's, what's really important is that you are not alone as a business owner. There are lots of resources out there and people who have knowledge and who are happy to help you and support you in your business. So I, I appreciate yeah. you saying that.
0: Yeah. I think of it as a way of you know, I, do what I love doing and I'm really good at doing. So that way you, the business owner and my clients can focus on what you love to do, which is make really good cupcakes or sell awesome shoes or chocolate or whatever it is, face masks, phone Mm -hmm. holders. You do that part. Let me do my part and together we'll make a really awesome team.
1: Absolutely. Well, this was really fun. I learned a lot today. I feel like I went back to university a little bit today. I love learning. (laughs) This was really fabulous. I I really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. And uh, I will make sure I put all of your info in our show notes in case anybody um, is panicking as they're hearing this and realizes
0: (laughs) that they need the assistance. (laughs) My absolute pleasure, Amanda. My absolute pleasure. Well, I look forward
1: to the day where we can meet in person. And until then, uh, we'll just have to make do with phone calls and video calls. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. Awesome. Thanks, Amanda. Well, that is all we have time for today, folks. I hope we gave you some food for thought or at least made you smile. Please see the show notes for any resource material that we referenced throughout the episode and to find out more about today's guest. If you have an idea for a future episode or a burning question you would like to see discussed, please send me an email at the taxchickpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, then please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and click subscribe to be notified when new episodes are posted. Please note that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast episode belong solely to the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the speaker's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. In addition, the information provided and discussed in this podcast is not legal advice. We encourage you to consult with your legal advisor for specific advice.